What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode 17 of UFC Unwrapped. My name is Perry Aston. I'm Brent Sahadi. And we are joined by a very special guest today, Robin Black, MMA analyst, color commentator, and a big personality in the MMA. Robin, what's going on, my man? Uh, good to be hanging with you guys. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, we are so excited to have you on. Before we get into some questions for Robin, all the stuff about the card this coming weekend, everything going on around the UFC, wanted to remind you guys that you can listen to us now on Anchor, which is our new hosting platform, as well as a ton of other platforms that Anchor is slowly releasing, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, so many others. So you can pretty much find UFC Unwrapped. Wherever you're really listening to podcasts now, if you're on Twitter, follow us at UFC Unwrap. Follow me at Perry Aston. Follow me at Brent Sahadi, and S-E-H-X-T-I. Hey, he's got the X in there. He keeps it nice and <laughs> nice and bold. We got Robin Black at Robin Black MMA. So thank you again, Robin, so much for joining us. And we're going to get started with just some questions that we have from you. Uh, and also kind of wanted to see what's going on around the life of Robin Black. So I wanted to kind of take a second to tell our listeners Anything that's going on right now with you? Maybe some exciting things coming up in your career. Well, you know, I'm always working, and, and that's a that's a good thing when you love what you do. I mean, I'm also never working because I just, you know, I, I follow my passion and my curiosity all day, um, and so life is good. Um, tomorrow, at the time we're we're chatting, I'm getting on a plane to go to Rhode Island. I'm commentating CES 57. Very cool. Um, in Rhode Island, never been to Rhode Island before, so that's cool. I'm excited for that. Um, you know, sitting next to a cage and talking about fights in real time is, I love to analyze fights, I love to do my breakdowns, I love to go on TV and chat with people and talk about all this stuff, but there's nothing that I like better, there's nothing I feel more connected to than sitting next to the cage. So I'm stoked for that CES 57 on Friday on UFC Fight Pass, then I'm home for a day, uh, I'm talking about, I'm doing a, a sports center on TSN, um, the uh, Max Holloway, Frankie Edgar, I'll be covering that. And then the very next day, I get on a plane and I fly to Mandalay, Myanmar Ooh. to commentate Lei Wei. It's a, it's a nine-limbed, it's Muay Thai with head butts is how people oh. describe it. It's, wow. it's the art of nine limbs. Yeah, it's a 2,000-year-old martial art, so I will sit next to the ring okay. next weekend. That's also on Fight Pass. Um, Friday, August 2nd, it'll be on Fight Pass, and I will commentate that as well, and then I'll fly home. So it's going to be a crazy, you know, next 10 or 12 days for sure. That is insane. And I know you said being next to the cage, I'm sure, is the most exhilarating feeling in the world. I know Brent was there to witness some fights in Las Vegas, 4th of July weekend, so he was near the cage. And the experience there just has to be no other, especially if you're in the front row seat that you are, Robin. So that's crazy. And I know I expect so much excitement from you the next weekend. I'm going to be watching everything on the Fight Pass and checking your social media to see what you're up to. Yeah, I do. I, I kind of talk on these in trips. I try to like document the trip too. I mean, Myanmar is a beautiful country. There's not a lot of, you know, it used to be called Burma. There's not a lot of okay. reasons for 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 people unless they have time to travel and and they they can be tourists. It's right between China and India. So you know, it's a very very fascinating place. So I'll cover all that on my Instagram stories probably for you know most of the week. I'm at Robin Black Martial Arts on Instagram and and I'll uh, I'll cover that trip too. The fights are wonderful. That's what I'm there for. That's what I love studying martial arts. But traveling into places like this and meeting new people and seeing new cultures to me that is just one of the great gifts of this job. Oh yeah. 
So Robin, I had a question for you because uh, you just plugged your Instagram and I know you're going to be putting updates on there, but can I ask what exactly happened to your original Instagram? Because I know you had to make a new one. What happened there? So uh, yeah, my other, my Instagram was at Robin Black MMA. I kind of think it'll be up and then we will be up again in the next 10 days, I suspect. Um, and then I have 102 or 103,000 people were following me there. I, I would make a few one minute breakdowns every day where I analyze the details of fighting. And you know, uh, Bellator, DAZONE, the PFL, uh, a lot of these companies will, will hire me and sometimes even pay me to sort of deploy my, my, my uh, attention to their thing. They, nobody ever tells me what, what to analyze, uh, which, you know, I like and I feel good about. But, but really, if you have an audience that loves your stuff, smart people these days don't say, you should do it our way. They say, your audience likes what you do, so let's not fuck it up. Right. Uh, Go do your thing. And, but they'll say, here, here's some money and some travel. Come sit next to our cage and analyze. So a lot of places would pay me to do that now or at least facilitate me doing that, which is wonderful, right? But the UFC, the nature of how they run their business, the nature of how they do their deals and, and look at their, you know, the, their content and how they share and don't share it, they're very against people using or sharing or copying or doing anything with their footage. Right. So I've gone out of my way kind of to avoid it. But, you know, I, I'm doing, I'm commentating on Fight Pass the next two weeks in a row and I'm covering Max Holloway and Frankie Edgar this weekend. So clearly I still am connected deeply to the UFC and I've worked with a ton of people there. But at the same time, you know, you don't want to get into trouble with their weird legal you know, right. digital, it's just, it's just business, right? It's nonsensical business. Totally. If you use their stuff, they will, you get strikes and then you can get your stuff taken down. I didn't, so I made a point to not use it. I took fan footage, a fan in the audience on their iPhone filmed Jorge Masvidal from like 27 rows back. I used that footage to make a breakdown of it. And I still got my wow. Instagram taken down by the UFC's legal. Yeah. I don't know if it's right. I don't know if they have right to that. I don't know if there's something in the ticket. When you buy a ticket as a fan that says you can't do that, therefore I can't share it either. I have no idea. I don't know. It's, you know, there are humans, people you work with, people I work <laughs> with at the UFC in all these variable ways, Fight Pass or, you know, TSN or whatever, wonderful people. And then you got this weird, you know, it's a business of 1,200 people. You got weird corporate bullshit and all of a sudden your Instagram is taken down. So I don't really know, to be honest, but so I started a new one uh, two weeks ago and uh, 70,000 people have already found me. Now, Joe Rogan had a great deal to do with that. He's just a, a good, generous friend and he, and he put him, Michael Bisping, Kelvin Gastelum, Mike Perry, a lot of people promoted my new Instagram, which is a massive massive compliment that they care enough about me and my work to do it but so ultimately i'm 70 percent where i was as far as the amount of humans that are consuming and enjoying and having fun with and i get to share with and um but i kind of have a feeling it's going to come back it doesn't make sense i'm an ally you know I, I do good work connected to their stuff clearly i believed i could use fan footage for that so somebody there you know a lot a, and Joe Rogan has helped a little. Somebody there up the line will look at this and go, you know what, this is kind of ridiculous. This is a friend and an ally. He's Definitely. not only not harming us, but he's helping us. So I kind of think there's a pretty good chance I'll get that one back too. And, uh, and you know, then I'll just keep doing what I do, making, making analysis videos and sharing them. You can try and hold us down, but we will come back 
even stronger. So I t- Instagram, you could try so hard, but uh, I know you were mentioning Joe Rogan. Brent and I had the pleasure of watching one of his stand-ups a few years back together, and we were hanging out with him a little bit after the show. Him and Ari Shafir, a couple, an- another one of the co- comedians that was that night. Super fun night. One of the nicest guys we've ever talked to. One of the most interesting conversations we've ever had. So I'm glad that he's blasting your name. Really great guy. And, and I know you're an amazing guy too. So it's just such a pleasure to now be able to speak to you as well on top of, you know, Joe Rogan a few years ago, which was a pleasure for Brent and I. He, he, he's a brilliant man. Like he, he really is, you know, like, right. and he's a good, he's a real actual, honestly, example. People think of him as some millionaire who commentates the UFC and has just the world's biggest podcast, but he was a regular guy. 25 years ago. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? He was a regular guy with no money and no job. Uh, this, when, when people accomplish these things, some people look and, and, you know, maybe they don't like them or maybe they're, most people like Joe, but, but some people are, you know, derogatory or jealous or whatever. You should be inspired by people like Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan, is, you know, he didn't know everything he knew. He didn't accomplish the things he accomplished. He didn't, his brain didn't work the way it does. It's just a slow, he wasn't as fit. None of these things. It's a slow, life is a slow, progressive, uh, you know, series of thousands and thousands of tiny improvements that over time turn you into whoever you're going to be when you're 30 and 40 and 50 and 60. And people like Joe, and, you know, and then now he's generous and he's kind and he's thoughtful. And, you know, this is this is what we should try to grow up to be is Joe Rogan. Well, I think uh, people should also strive to be Robin Black because you have your... <laughs> You really do have your own story. You've you've been through a lot yourself. You know, uh, you had you have the music background. You're still making music, and somehow you had a breakthrough to where you were able to get into the MMA commentating and breaking down fights. I want to know exactly what was that adversity that those big adversities that you had to get through because I know that you worked eight years at a cable channel and. You were nominated for MMA Analyst of the Year in 2017. Like you, you did all this work only to be laid off from that job, and you and you bounced back even harder. Can you touch up on that story a little bit? My, well, thank you. My my, my thoughts, honestly, are anything worth doing is really hard. Like it really is. You know, it really is. But that's okay. The only people you know that are going to be somewhat successful or happy doing anything are people who are doing exactly the thing they should be doing. And then they're super patient about it, and they can get knocked out a couple of times and knocked down a lot of times. I mean, when I started, so I sung in a rock band. I wore leather pants and eye makeup and feather boas, and I played a character on TV, kind of a character like Alice Cooper and these sort of old-school you know, musicians where you, you're playing a character that is rude and arrogant and, and you know, old-school kind of, it's a shtick and and so a person like that is not what and i wanted to commentate fighting i wanted to say around 2006 or so i won 2005 maybe i wanted to do what i'm doing today i didn't think it would take 13 years i thought maybe you know you end up with a five-year plan and you feel like maybe you're very patient but nobody wanted me like nobody wanted to allow me into this field i had to earn it and even in canada where Canadians are pretty nice. Uh, they, you know, the little message boards and, and the things that existed, there was already a group, there was already a world of people who had earned the right to be, you know, stakeholders within 
the fighting world. They were black belts in jujitsu that, that learned jujitsu by traveling around and, and following the only purple belt they knew until they could learn how a triangle worked. And these and then fighting on the smallest shows when nobody like would give them any coverage for a hundred dollars or traveling and then paying money to fight. And these people had earned the right to be you know, considered important in Canadian fighting. I was just some outsider who wore eye makeup that everybody thought I was only doing this for attention. Right. They all wanted to kick the shit out of me. Like, everybody that was a bantamweight, no matter how, people with 30 fights wanted to beat me up on TV. As And, um, you know, I took the abuse and I was made fun of constantly. I was insulted and put down. And, and that was okay. I, I looked at it and I thought, you know, this is the route you're going to have to take. Like, you're going to have to, you're just, if this is important enough to you, you're going to have to do it. And in doing so, you learn to be a little more humble and you learn to, to not be bothered by these things and you learn a lot about yourself and about empathy. So I did that and I fought, and I thought I, thought I should fight if I was going to ever really get to talk about martial arts. I fought once and I lost. I got beat up pretty good. I fought again and I lost, you know, in my hometown in the first round. And then I thought, well, I better keep fighting until I learn how to win. And then I won. But then, you know, I thought, well, I could go to two and two. That would be easy. And then somebody put a belt up. All of a sudden, before, then you love the next challenge and the next challenge. You're learning new things. And before I knew it, I fought nine times in four years. I got a little respect in Canada, but I was still a joke. You know, I was still still an absolute joke. Only Fight Network, which was was a cable channel up here. Only Fight Network would hire me, and it was partly because at that time, they were a joke too, and I don't say that lightly or insultingly. They had been, you know, removed all right to cover the UFC, had been taken away from them. They were banned from events. Like, they were in a lot of trouble at the time, so somebody like me fit in, you know, and we worked our way up, and like you said, after seven or eight years, uh, they shut the door on us making content, and two years ago, I had zero job, zero followers, um, no ability to make to uh, do this work and I had to if it was important enough to me if I could do it I had to learn how to edit and how to post and how to build my own things and how to voice stuff and how to use technology and podcasts and all of those things and so I said fuck it I have this, this is what I'm going to do with the rest of my life I'm only in my 40s I want to do this till I'm 65 so I just did it I learned it and I worked it and I worked 12 and 14 hours a day and you know, if, if people wouldn't hire me to do it, I'd hire myself and I would do it myself until I built something. And now I'm at the point where, you know, this is two, two and a half years later. I was nominated for Analyst of the Year again this year against Cormier, Cruz, Bisping, and Paul Felder, four people who work for ESPN and the UFC. And I work in my little podcast studio. And, uh, and I feel like I've, you know... I now do this for a full-time living, traveling the world, talking about fighting, and 300 million people have watched my one-minute breakdown. And I, I, when I say that, I say it with a lot of pride, yeah, especially the way you guys brought it up, that, you know, I wasn't super welcome here, in, <laughs> and it was, I started at lower than zero, and, and it's going pretty well, and I am happy to say that. It's been such a journey for us, and it's still so early in the process. We technically became a sports network in January, so just the whole journey of this and the fact that, of course, we didn't go to school necessarily to focus on this. We have have our own career path that we've focused on, and you know, just at the end of the day, you just love sports and want to talk about it and just will do anything it takes to take your own unorthodox path to where you want to be, right? So I think it's inspiring to hear that. No, seriously, because... I, I'm totally believe. I'm hoping that I could be that guy in my podcast booth later on. That I'm competing with the ESPN guys. 
I don't necessarily even want to be there. I kind of want to take your route. You know, that's kind of where I've been, where I want to go. And it's been very, you know, inspiring for me to hear you talk about that. And of course, a bunch of other people I've talked to as well, which is why, you know, I'm in this business and I brought Brent with me here and he's such an expert in this realm here. And I have sports expertise all over the place, but just coming down to it, wanting to talk about sports, wanting to be around it and taking your own unorthodox path. It's just how it works sometimes, you know, it's just how life works. So to hear you say that really just put a smile on my face. So I like that story a lot. Well, well, thank you. And, you know, the truth is it's not just possible. Like it's almost the better way to do it. And I dare say like the more direct way to, you know, like um, people, if somebody says to me like the old, you know, you're smart, you're very smart, caring, um, uh, thoughtful relative who does well in any business would say to a kid who is really into, into sports, go to school, take an education on sports broadcasting, and then go and apply, blah, blah. All of that is bullshit. What they're not seeing is a massive shift in culture, in consumption, Completely. in technology, in audience, all of these things. If you're a 17-year-old tomorrow and you say, I'm in love with tennis or old school bubblegum or whatever it is, <laughs> The technology exists, you start a podcast, an Etsy store, a Shopify, uh, an Instagram, a Twitter, a YouTube, you're going to fucking work your ass off while you have a part-time job. You're going to make no money. But over time, each of those things are going to grow. Your expertise is going to grow. Your skills in all these areas are going to grow. And as you do it and as you outwork everybody else around you, your audience not only likes your stuff, but they, they start to cheer for you because totally. you're, you can wake up every day and be part of what kind of drives them as well. And this is how it's done now. And, and, but it's also incredibly hard and sometimes very lonely. You know, before I, uh, I got on the phone with you guys, I am currently today, besides making the breakdowns that are part of my world, and not only are there to, to feed my audience something they love, but also the only way you get good at anything. This is everything. This is playing piano or fighting in a cage or, or be, doing podcasts. The only way to improve, everybody understands this in any sport, in any art form, is repetition. Right. It's work. You've got to do it. You've got to do it over and over again. You know, I made... Uh, I made 1,200 breakdowns over the last year or four years. Not 12, not 120, <laughs> 1,200 of them. Yeah, 1,200 minutes. I, that's, <laughs> that's a quote. You know what I mean? And, and uh, these are hours each, so I'm into, you know, like, you're right there is the work. Never mind all the other skills, but that is what anybody who understands skill development, it's not a fucking trick and it's not a, it's not a myth and it's not a surprise and it's not a, it's not a secret. You want to get good at anything, do it a shitload. If you don't, somebody else will and then shut your mouth. You're not serious about it, right? You, it's the only way and you know, we all understand that to some degree, but this is going to be so much more in the public discussion two years from now. When somebody says, who does a better podcast, this guy or this guy? Anybody logically will go, well, this guy's done 1,600, and these guys have done 100. At 100, they're quite good, but talk to me 500 from now. That's right. just how it is. That's just the truth of skill development, of ability, of reach, of improvement, of self-analysis, of all of these things. You're, you want to be a great fighter? Fight a lot. Train a lot. 
uh, you know, work your body, work your mind, uh, uh, work your, your low, you want to be good at throwing low kicks? Give me 10,000 of them this month or next month or however long it's going to take you. We all know this. We all know this. And then the other thing that will change, whether you guys want to take your network to some big company, if they want to pay you guys $300,000 a year to be in their umbrella and you want to consider it, Two years from now, those companies will know much more with logic that they're, this idea that they can simulate your what you guys have by hiring some knob who used to play football and put them on a podcast, they'll understand that's nonsense right. because it'll start to be self-evident. Why is Joe Rogan so good at doing podcasts? Because he's fucking done 1,400 of them. <laughs> it's that simple. Right. It really is. Yeah. It's that no, completely. Give me a thousand. Give me two thousand. And if you don't, you're not serious. And so this this simplifies everything. It simplifies why. Why is Frankie Edgar so good? Why you know why are we talking about John Jones? Uh, actually, John Jones is a rare exception, from what I understand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there are rare exceptions. Yeah. There are rare exceptions to these stories. That's but a freaking rare. Yeah. But Frankie Edgar has the most ti- the most time in a in an octagon out of any fighter. Yeah, Frank Edgar posted a picture of his face on Twitter the other day, and it was just a close up, really good quality. And you were able to see his face, and he pointed out a few different things. He had two different shaped ears. His eyes, you can just see it, and the scars on his face. The nose was the nose was displaced. The teeth were screwed up, and you can just see that that's his life. You know, he put everything into it, and. Probably did it 1,600 times, like you said, over and over and over again, like Brent just said, having the most time in the octagon. To see his face like that, it honestly hit me a certain way because you never really take the time to really look at a fighter and really detail, like look at their face, what they've been through when a guy's been doing it for that long. It blew my mind. I said, that guy's face has been through a ton. I was at a fight in Quebec City, and on it was Rampage Jackson was fighting... The Brazilian fellow who fought Fedor and, and um, who boxed a lot, uh, you know, I'm going to pull it up. Uh, uh, Fabio Maldonado. Oh, yeah. was his name. And Michael Bisping was on that card. And there was a few other guys. And as I moved through some of these veterans, up close, Rampage Jackson's face is covered in scars. Michael Bisping was blinded one eye. Mike's a friend. I know that even in his last couple fights, he couldn't really see properly. He had mm-hmm. he tricked doctors, you know, and to do it. And then Fabio, you could feel like even his neurology may have been affected, and you realize what it is. But but this isn't. I mean, runners screw up their legs or hips or back. You know, uh, people who work in mines screw up their lungs. Fighters damage their bodies. You know, um, lawyers um, burn themselves out or develop gambling or alcohol problems. Like we all do that. This is what it is to be so single-minded that you dedicate yourself to something. Some people go through multiple divorces and have emotional challenges in their life. We all do this to some degree. We make choices based on what we're passionate about. We commit all into it, and in many ways, there are, there are sacrifices to be made when you do this. Now, what the fighters do is bigger, and... And what a lot of athletes do is bigger. And I'm all for every piece of science being out there to show what it is. Because if somebody says, here's all the danger you can damage and danger and risk and everything at play here to be a fighter, and for the most part, you're not going to get paid that well. And you say, God, this is all I think about. This is all I do. This is the only time I feel alive. I was put on earth to do this. Well, then 
it, we live in a free society and I really will fight for your right to be able to do that. But, it's, but I'm much more comfortable with it as a fan and as somebody in love with fighting or, you know, I'm sure people feel the same about football or any other dangerous sport or art or job, is as long as you're informed, as long as you know the risks and you choose to do it anyways out of love or passion or drive, then do it. Do it. Totally. So, Robin, I just wanted to highlight, I mean, everything you've just said in the past five or so minutes, as far as advice goes, is priceless, because especially for a, a younger audience to hear all the adversity that you went through, how you, those experiences helped you develop that thick skin, how even as an adult, you had some sort of stability, then lost that stability, and then bounced back harder. First of all, I also wanted to say uh, congratulations to being nominated again last year for the Thanks, analyst man. of the year that's that's a huge accomplishment totally and uh also about that analogy of the scar tissue on the face when it comes to you there's a reason those those ten thousand hours that you put in to become a master show because it's not only your uh your knowledge about mma there's a lot of people who have knowledge but it's you found your niche through those hours that you put in and you're able to not only take uh, UFC footage or Muay Thai footage and break them down like no one else can but you'll even take just like ridiculous videos off Twitter that are going viral and you will put your passion into that and make a perfect breakdown isn't Twitter the best right isn't Twitter the best thing ever made for sports I swear to God I, every time I go on Twitter and I find something new I just say where were, where were we before this the ingenious invention and I talk to all types of different personalities about it, and everyone will just say, to be honest, man, even if Twitter isn't my thing, if I'm not on Twitter, I'm behind. You know what I mean? People can't reach me the way I need to be. So, Well, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, podcasts, all of these things are a reflection of whatever we are. So the, the three of us are discussing how much we love to find interesting things, ways to communicate, ways to laugh and share and stuff. Other people, it's it's misery and, and it's it's anger and stuff. So there, it's a reflection of all the cross, cross moments of society. But when people say that these things are bad, I don't think they're bad. You know, we're saying they're good right now. I'm not sure they're necessarily good. I think all they are allow us to communicate and share ideas. And if our ideas are good and if our intentions are positive, then we get a wonderful experience out of these. Totally. I mean, it's an incredible experience to be able to take something, see it, play with it, express your ideas, be creative and share it. And other people send you messages saying they loved it and you made their day and you made them laugh. And it's incredible to me. Like, incredible. Just, you know, every day I get many, like more than dozens, easy low hundreds of people thank me for just doing the shit I love to do. And it's a, and it is through this freedom to communicate that's made this possible. But it's also why we have to really realize how, what is possible with it. I'm literally, I'm literally walking proof that this technology, if you've got something that's that you, you know, is unique to you and something you want to say that this technology allows you to make it your whole, your life. I mean, mm -hmm. my, my entire, I pay my mortgage and all of my bills and all of my travel and all my fun. I pay it all with doing things connected to my passion. And it was, you know, it was the freedom that was created by this technology and this ability to share with other human beings all around. This is what makes it possible. And, and most of us could do it. Um, you also bear in mind, it's like somebody will then say to me, yeah, but you got these one minute breakups. They didn't exist. 
you know, 2013, I started doing breakdowns. They weren't all that good. It's 2019, six years. You know, I say 1,200 because that's sort of the, the general count when I see the one minutes are seven and 800, and I did a few hundred at, at Fight Network, and I did another 50 or 80 for the UFC or for DAZN and, all, and you know, PFL, and I start putting them together, and it's 12 or 1,300. Maybe it's more than that, but right. six years is a long time. But if I said to somebody who's 20 or 25 or 30, and I said to you, you can spend six years obsessively working on the thing that gives you happiness to work on anyways. And I think there's a pretty good chance six years from now, it'll turn into something good. And the journey of having done it will make you smarter and happier and more well-adjusted. Fucking everybody would do it. Yeah. And the truth is, that is probably exactly what will happen if you didn't work for six years on something you love. Totally. And just so the next question that I really have for you, I know it's kind of just you taking the moments as they come and you're just adapting and changing as you go. And I know you said you want to do this till you're about 65. And I just had a question if there was anything that you still have left in the tank that you want to try and accomplish. Is there anything that beyond what you're doing right now, which of course is amazing, are there any goals that you've set or anything that you wanted to do? I know you turned 50 August 10th. We pulled up that birthday there. So I wanted to wish yeah. you a early happy birthday and maybe ask what you had with your birthday plan. So when we ask you that open question about your future, why don't you add your birthday plans in the near future and then anything beyond that, if there's anything that you still would love to accomplish? You know, I, I kind of have no real birthday plan yet. You know, at 45, I wanted to hit a, um, a hang clean, an Olympic sort of hang clean, uh, of a particular weight, it was like 182 pounds or something, and I weighed 155. <laughs> but I did hit, and I did hit it that day. And then, you know, a year later on my birthday, I wanted to win a, a, a national powerlifting contest, and I did win it. At, it was my age and weight. It was, you know, it's like a jujitsu tournament. There's okay. eight guys or ten guys up here, but still, you know, like, and Canada's a very small place, but I, I felt really happy with it. Still, Robin Black, Robin Black powerlifter. <laughs> you got, we didn't add that to the initial resume. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I train a fair bit now, and, and I find, you know, at 50, if you want to be, and, and I say 65, I'd love to be sitting next to a cage at 68 or 71, and in boxing, they do that, and the only reason that isn't so in MMA and Muay Thai and other martial arts is because it hasn't been broadcast as long, but the, if people understand that skill development happens through repetition, then over time... Uh, the best commentators and best television people when it comes to pure skill and flow, ability to use language and be in the moment and be connected, should be 63 and 66 years old. So if I continue to improve, I think I could actually keep doing that and maybe be far better then than I am today. So I'd like that, but, but yeah, I don't really have an, a plan for my birthday yet. Something will hit me, something I want to do, but I don't know yet. I, I, it doesn't... I don't know, I feel really good at, at, you know, I'm doing, I'm living day to day doing as a martial artist and, and expressing ideas and sharing that stuff as a way to keep being a martial artist. But, but yeah, like, uh, as far as like goals, I mean, on some level, I still want to really make commentate a UFC next to the cage, but that's started to represent something very different to me now. Like I've over time started to be able to understand that convincing one or more executives to hire you to do a role, to do a thing in a broadcast with a team, you know what I mean? Like, this oh, yeah. isn't, it's, it, 
the, the newer things that we do are so much more pure Completely. in the way that they're done, where the old things are like, if you, if my goal was to commentate a UFC cage side, what I'm real, and I, I like to break goals down into smaller process goals so you know what are achievable. Once, and in theory, that sounds amazing until you break it down into process goals, and then it's like, create a particular kind of image or sound or work to convince one or more other humans to cast you into a pre-existing role that is performed a particular way so that you can then do this thing that's really not what you do. You know what I mean? Like, so I, on some level, I would still really like to do that. But on another level, when you break it down into its actual bite-sized chunks, it feels weird. I mean, I honestly... And this isn't good or bad. This isn't, you know, a plus or a minus. But some people like things to, to be very stable, as stable as they can, uh, familiar and, and, you know, um, uh, formulaic in a good way, whether it's, you know, like you see the same intro, the same music, the same feel, the same language, these things, you know, done a particular way. That makes a lot of people feel comfortable. That's not good or bad. That's just who they are. Yep. Other people like to change things. They like to, they try to innovate, which is not, again, a good or a bad word. It's just a word. Uh, they try, they take big risks knowing they may fail, but then knowing that the learning of failing is worthwhile to do it a different way, to seek to break plateaus. I'm one of those people. And and I'm, I'm happy being one of those people. And I don't know that those people fit really well into the older school broadcasting as it stands. Like, you know, to sit me at a desk and then in my ear say, and this is what I did two years ago, but now the freedom has changed me so much to sit there and somebody say into your ear, okay, we're rolling the Frankie Edgar footage, say 45 seconds on Frankie Edgar's wrestling. And what they want you to say is, you know, Frankie Edgar, one of the top wrestlers in the game, we've seen his takedown, you know, and they kind of roll this thing out. And then they say to your ear, okay, the next person, okay, now we're going with the Max Holloway stuff. Talk about his striking, we're going to roll his striking again in his last fight. Oh, you know, Frankie Edgar really uh, maximizes his use of range, got powerful strikes, unbelievable mobility and footwork. And if he can keep this thing, you know, and that's what you then say, then they roll over to the other thing and they say, this will be in Edmonton, Alberta. And they show the shot of Edmonton and then it goes to the, you know, that formula now feels so weird to me because I haven't, I've lived in a world without it for the last two years. I've lived in a world where my language is my own, my tone is my own. Seeing whatever I want to see is what I see and whatever I want to share is what I share. And, you know, I do my breakdowns in my underpants sometimes instead <laughs> of, you know, in a suit. And That's and the best, the so best way to break things down in your underwear. You know what I mean? There's no other way to do it. 100%. Yeah, sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night and, and write something and then voice it if I, you know, uh, I, I, the amount of times that I've had people hammer on my hotel room wall because I'm screaming bink into my, uh, into my microphone, it's really weird, but that's, so can I do that? Yeah, I could do that stuff. Should I do that? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, and that may also be one of the reasons, you know, if I'm, if I'm an executive and I'm looking at what I need, what I, my formulas require so that I can put on 40 shows a year, I don't want some guy. Like, when they come and cut to me and they say, what's your prediction for Max Holloway versus Frankie Edgar? What I want to do is spend eight minutes explaining why predictions are illogical based on how there are so many variables and really educate people on what we can and can't see with the biases of of 
you know, the belief that what you see is all there is, that is one of the most powerful biases in the world. I want to tell people about that, that really, you know, the information we have about Frankie Edgar versus Max Holloway is one, two, three percent of all the available information in the world. Um, how the fuck can you make a prediction with three percent of the information? We don't know who's sick. We don't know who has diarrhea. We don't know whose mother died that week. We don't know who's frightened. We don't know who, you know, is going down a mental spiral they've never experienced. We don't know any of it. We so, don't know any of them. I'll so assume you, say, uh, you, don't, you don't gamble on MMA fights, right, Robin? No, no. Definitely <laughs> not. Uh, <laughs> so the there's last, advice. The, the very last bet I ever made was Holly Holm inside the distance against Ronda Rousey. And I made a lot of money. And you stopped? <laughs> I think I had $200 on it, actually. But I was so certain. Um, but I never made another bet. Now, I still will play the game. And the game is television. Like, can you, especially in television, but and the web, too, you can play these games. Can, you know, uh, Max Kellerman, for example, who I'm a big fan of, Max is not going to ever tell you what he really believes. He's going to tell you whatever will give the most bite to the audience, whatever will engage debate. When he says, Conor McGregor will not land a meaningful punch, he knows full well the man will land a punch, but he, it sounds better. It's more extreme, you know? And so it, and you'll play that game sometimes. You'll play that occasionally, especially as an experiment or to see. But, you know, to me, that, that game, that game of, of us arguing over the president of the United States or us arguing over what Dana White did or didn't do and whether it's correct and arguing over whether or not, you know, all of that to me, I think, is detrimental to not just the sport or the audience, but to humanity. I think teaching people to argue is bad for us. And, and I think if we, if you showed what's really going on, there are many other ways to think other than pick a side and then tease the guy who's wrong and pretend you knew what you were talking about when you were right. I think that's bad. I think it's bad for humanity. Yeah, we, uh, we have a couple of questions from some of your fans on Twitter. Uh, we kind of just picked about three out of a ton that we got. So if you ever want to go to the thread and answer personally, feel free. But we didn't want to take up too much of your time, but we wanted to highlight maybe three different questions and kind of get what's on their mind answered. So Brent can start with the, the first one. So uh, my close buddy on Twitter, he goes by at Zanbando, Z-A-I-N, Bando99. And a member of Unwrapped Sports, yep. a contributor. Uh, he has a really good question yes. for you. His question is, what is his favorite part of fight breakdowns, and who does he enjoy critiquing the most? My favorite part, honestly, my favorite part, I think, is the playing with the, with the video. And I think it's also what has taught me the most. You know, over time, like watching it over and over, different ways and seeing it, because you know, what you're looking for is the truth. And the truth is never really the truth because we don't even know really the universe of the world around us. We know as much as we know. And if, we're, if we keep a white belt mentality and understand that in 10 years we'll know more about everything, breathing, you know, the brain, uh, gasoline, architecture, like if we understand that in 10 years we should know more about things, then we understand that what we know today is not that much. But we are trying to look for the truth as we can know it. And over to, by continuing to watch footage, you see, I mean, that book Blink, Malcolm Gladwell's book Blink, I read it only a year or two ago, and I realized the thin slicing, the understanding at a glance what's really happening, that develops from watching, you know, 
hundreds of thousands of minutes of tape and doing it over and over, backwards, forwards, and seeing, I'm not looking for what you did or what he did. I'm looking for the relationship between you. I'm looking for the dynamic between the, the two, you know, these are two unwilling dance partners. They each have conflicting objectives. They're both happening at the same time. That's what is a fight. It isn't what you want. It isn't your game plan. It isn't his tactics. It isn't blocking the kick to throw. It's all simultaneous. And it, it, there's a dynamic. And, and you see and learn that dynamic by, by using the footage, seeing it. Then, and for a long time, when I worked at Fight Network and when I would make the UFC breakdowns, uh, Fight Network had a uh, contract to show them in Canada. And even at the time, I was able to do it through the UFC before they got sold. I would get like 10 different angles sometimes, wide, slow-mo, red camera, over top, four different, you know, 20, sometimes six, eight, 10, sometimes in Conor McGregor fights and big fights, 20 different angles of footage. So you could look at this um, from all these different angles and connect to the reality of what was happening, the truth of what was happening. And that, to me, is very inspiring. It's made me better. It's made me understand humans, human movement, the human mind. You know, martial arts, all of it. Like, I just love that. That's great. Um, yeah, I just love it. It's, But I love all of it. I love grabbing it. I love the nerves of wondering if it's going to be any good. I love sharing it. I love voicing it. I love getting excited. To, you know, all of it. But And then who's my, my favorite to critique? So that there's one word there I, I don't use. I don't critique anybody. And um, I don't believe I do. Because critique or being a critic... Or, you know, if you are critiquing, so let's let's say not me. I'm going to use somebody else as an example. Some other guy. Let's say he decides, or, or a woman or whoever. They decide they're going to critique these fighters. My first question is, who the fuck are you? <laughs> right. You know what Straight I mean? Up. Like, like, who the fuck are you to critique John Jones? You know? <laughs> yeah, get, get, in, the, get in the cage with John Jones. We'll see how your critique well, helps you. Yeah, not just that. Like, I, <laughs> so I fought nine times and I sparred, you know, 900 times at, at a pro level. And what I know from that is I don't know anything about what's happening with, truthfully in Dustin Poirier's experience in a fight. But people who've never fought don't have it. And that isn't just that, although that's a bad one. If you, I'm sorry, and I don't, and I, this is no disrespect to anybody, not intentionally, and it isn't intended this way. It's just, this is my factual belief. If you've never fought someone in a cage while other human beings are watching, you have no fucking right to critique anybody. You cannot say this was good or this was bad. You can't cast judgment Preach. because, again, yep. 95, 97% of what's actually happening there is only discernible through the experience of it. And I don't just mean having experience of it. I mean experiencing what Chris Weidman and, you know, Luke Rockhold are experiencing. You're missing 97% of the information. So how the fuck are you going to say Chris Weidman made a mistake when you don't know what choice he was making to avoid, what information his brain had, most of the information, you again, we, we've got one or two percent. The, the fight doesn't look or feel anything like our perspective. None. Right. None. So, I'm excited so for I people to hear I, this I, side I, of it, too, because a lot of people don't have the perspective that you're preaching right now. And I think it's a beautiful, beautiful perspective. And I'm sure everyone listening to it is going to take it to heart. So, yeah, take, a, so take, a, step, so. take a step back with the critique. Disagree. 
Some let people him, will honestly him. disagree. It, it feels logical to you and I right now, but there's something called the the most fearsome bias that we have, and all humans have bias, every one of us, where we were born, what religion we were exposed to, what, what country we're from, the year we're born in, aware, these are all bias, all of us. But the most fierce bias the human being can have, in my opinion, is the bias of what you see is all there is. Because if you look at a fight, and you actually believe that what you see is all the information there is, you start judging. You're like, well, this guy didn't do this right. This is his error. How come he's making mistakes and what could he do different? Who the fuck are you? Yeah, like, how totally. on earth could anybody say that? You know, the experience is most of the information. So all of a sudden what we're doing is from an outside perspective, like we all do this, it would benefit us all to not do it, but we look at something as simple as, you know, three minutes of news, whether we see it on Fox or we see it on TSNBC or whatever, we think that's it. Right. And then we start arguing over that thing. And we're missing 99% of the information. And then people will say, well, that's all I need. Trump did this. <laughs> or, I saw Dana White say that. And they'll say, that's all the information I need. Well, that's your flaw. Right. You need all the information. Without the information, everything you're saying is nonsense. And that principle so applies to everything in life. Everything. Everything in life, everything in life, broadcasting, you know, everything within the thing that you do. So if you, you know, if you do something like we do, we have to understand people, technology, sports, talking, thinking, like all of these things have that, that element to it, right? And this is what it is to try to grow as a human being, to understand we don't know shit. Yeah. So I can't critique anybody. What I can do is look for the truth as I see it, as an informed person with, you know, 100,000 minutes or many, many tens of thousands of hours of information and whatever I learned in the cage and whatever I learned through training every day and whatever I learned through, you know, analyzing footage in a way that probably no other human has of fighting ever um, for 1,200 single breakdowns, I can tell you what I can, what I can discern as the truth with what I know, but then I'll always tell you, Five years from now, I'll look back at this and wish I knew what I then, now, what I knew then, and unfortunately, it'll be limited and weak. And that's the truth. And so, and I will do it with love and curiosity. So when I see, who were those, Francis Ngannou and uh, what's his name, had the fight where they didn't touch each other. Lewis, um, Derek Lewis. Uh, Derek Lewis. So I was interviewed on the radio over and over, and people, so every conversation was about judgment. People were like, is that the worst fight you've ever seen? That one blew my mind. And then people would be like, you know, and, and that was one of, you know, if, if 10 questions were asked, eight of them was that on radio, and I get it. You know, that, that is a great radio or TV question because now we can compare to other bad fights, we can be outraged, we can make some other people. But the real question is, the real question of that fight, I can't critique that fight. I can't sit there and go, these guys, you know, they, they should have been engaged. Like, what were they? Like, and, and the other thing on the side note that happens often when people will commentate or say something like that, they'll say, well, I don't know what he's thinking. Or I don't know why in some other thing. I don't know why he's not passing the guard. And my answer to that is, of course you don't. How the <laughs> fuck could you know what he's thinking? 
How could you know why he's not passing the guard? It's all based on information that his brain has detected in the course of this fight and in the time leading up to it. And his anxieties and fears and blood and, and breathing and, and hesitation and how tired he is. Of course you don't know. You can't know. You don't have access to any of the pertinent information. So, and then when those two guys fought, and they didn't touch each other a great deal in that fight, if you asked either one of them before the fight, you said, what would be your biggest fear uh, for failure in this fight? They would say, to be embarrassed, to not perform well, to not be able to do what I wanted, to like let my team down, to just not be able to get the best out of myself. And if you talk to them after, and you said, how do you do? And they're like, I don't understand it. I just, I don't know why I wasn't engaging. Okay, so they, before they didn't, after they didn't, and yet in the moments of experience, they couldn't perform. Well, that's fucking fascinating. That is fascinating. What was happening in their brains? Because you know what they weren't doing? Just saying, fuck it, I want to have a shitty fight. They weren't saying, you know what? I think I'm going to not touch this guy. You know, all these people are booing, and I don't care. They weren't doing any of that. What they were doing was... They were unable to get themselves to perform. Why? Because their brains, their, their intentional aspects of their personality and their thinking were overridden by the involuntary processes of their brain. Well, that's fucking fascinating. How did that happen? Why did that happen? What's going on? What, what are they seeing? What's it like to be so hesitant? What's it like to do that and wish you could do more? Is everyone booing and you know tomorrow you're going to be made fun of it, yet you still can't do it? To me, that's fascinating. That's how I want to analyze fighting. Not with critique and judgment, where I'm like, this is the worst fight ever. Look at these guys. They should be ashamed of themselves. Fuck you. Who are you? You know what I mean? Right. So, so sorry. I went off on an extreme tangent on that It was question, a super productive tangent. We love the rant. The rants are where the yeah. best quality yeah. of content comes from. <laughs> just really quick before yeah. we just ask you a question or two about the UFC 240 card. Just yep. want to get one bink on air. We've had multiple people asking yep. us how you came up with it. it is, I, don't want, I don't want to take up too much time with the question. Of just Is it something that you started when you did the breakdowns, or is that a noise that you've been making forever? And I just want to see if you want to give us one on air for our listeners. Yeah. Bink. Yeah. I, 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 I walk through the world, and things bump each other, and I go, bink. My dog taps something, and I go, bink. Like, I have done that for a long time. Okay. Um, but to a certain degree... And I, you know, I, I think I did it a couple times in commentary, probably, you know, and uh, so I had this incredible gift that when I did work at that cable channel, Fight Network, we did probably 200, what we called the best of Deep. Deep is a brilliant organization from Japan, and, and Ram D and my partner would take all these, and they had hundreds and hundreds of shows, and he would make like 20 fights per, and we did 150 or 200 of those, we'd call a couple a week, and then we did the best of Pang Price, we'd look back at old fights from the late 90s and early 2000s, then we would do, you know, the best of Sengoku, and we had all these historic fights, and you would call them, in in the early 2000s, guys would put their hands here and now. Why did they do that? Why has that changed? And you could analyze it in all those ways. And I think that's where I started using it. And at first, it was probably to entertain us. And then later, I realized that in a world, like, I just, I'm not always trying to do things different, but when everything's done the same, it bores me. And I feel like naturally what I don't want to do is say what everyone else said. I don't know why. I feel like it's a weird kind of mind control that you feel like you must talk a certain way. When, when you see, do you ever watch Cops? Of course. Watch cop? my, yeah, my wife 
and I love cops. I don't know why. It's like our favorite show. <laughs> like we've always watched it. But and I have so good friends funny. that are police, and I always found it interesting. So when a cop pulls somebody over, and then they're talking, they're like, you know, we, uh, the suspect was traveling at a high rate of speed, and then he, he accelerated around the turn, and I uh, deployed the uh, pit maneuver. Like they talk like cops, right? Mm. They talk like cops. And then you know. I don't know if you've ever seen junior hockey or, or the NHL hockey. You interview a hockey player and they say, well, you know, I've uh, got to put a lot of pucks on the net. Uh, you know, there's no I in team. Uh, you go into the other team's barn. Uh, you never underestimate the lesser lights in the, in the National Hockey League. <laughs> like, they all talk like hockey players. All of them. All of them. It's uniform. And then commentators all talk like a really weird uh, uh, impersonation of fucking Joe Rogan. <laughs> and they all do. They all do. Oh my God, you know, he's taking him down. I was going to dish out some ground and pound. It's over. There's a nice right hand low kick, inside low kick. You know, when he takes him down, you know, his body is covered in sweat. Let's see what kind of guard he has. Those are all just shit Joe says. All of his it. body is and covered in sweat. What a sweaty it. man. <laughs> yeah, you know, they all fucking do it. It doesn't matter where you listen. And it's like, cops talk like the cops. Hockey players talk like hockey players. Uh, people on the news talk like newscasters. Oh, I'm Dan Rather. They're all imitating Dan Rather or whoever. And everybody imitates Joe Rogan. Joe is the best, but he is not commentating the way one commentates fighting. He's commentating the way Joe Rogan commentates fighting. Mm -hmm. If you like the way Joe Rogan commentates, what you like about it is that it's different. What's illogical is you like it because it's different, so your reaction is to do it exactly the same. That's fucking illogical, right? Yep. So I had felt like everybody was yelling and everybody was like, oh, you know, oh, it's another, like, it's a, there was so much broadcaster, and I'm not talking about only the UFC, it's just boxing and football, and, and I don't really like sports. I don't like sports. I like art. I like music. I like, I like painting. I like poetry and, you know, I, I like art. And so I didn't want to sound like a sportscaster. And it isn't that I made the decision to not. It was just, it felt icky when I tried to. So I went the other way. And then, you know, all of a sudden, it made sense to just make the sound something I thought. I see it as beautiful and fun and lighthearted and wonderful and creative. And yes, I know this is, you know, that we are sustaining and giving out and sustaining and taking damage. I understand that. But at the same time, we've chosen to do this. And, I, and those moments don't have to be said like devastating. This guy's a killer. You know, they don't have to be done that way. That's just how Joe did it because Joe's fucking Joey. He's an individual. He did it his way. We're not all supposed to imitate him. We're supposed to express ourselves. And so I just started expressing myself. And I had so much fun every time I said bake. And then after four or five hundred of them, people just started encouraging me. <laughs> well, like, it, brings you know, such, it brings such a different unexpected side because you'll take some super gruesome knockout video and you'll just put a bink <laughs> as soon as the impact it's pretty shows. fantastic and, um, i know a lot of people were sending in questions about that they, they i think that's something that just stands with your brand so i think it's fantastic the way that you were able to add that to your arsenal and something that you've been probably saying since you were a kid and i promise you we all appreciate you being different and being yourself <laughs> yeah definitely i love those words joe rogan yeah. one of them most awesome personalities in the UFC. But like you said, everyone should have their own personality. You know, there should be a thousand awesome personalities in every sport. So I agree with you. And I'm just going to copy, oh, yeah. I'm just going to copy how you talk. Though, if that's cool, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and in everything, I mean, you know, nobody, like, if you look back at music, I just saw, uh, uh, and I can't even think of who it was, but 
the, the somebody was just inducted into the into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and when they showed all their photos, they looked exactly like the Beatles. They dressed like the Beatles. The photos were the same. They were running, and they were smiling, and their haircuts were identical. And it's like, you know, just because you came out at that time, you didn't have to look like the Beatles. Like, you could have dressed and worn anything. But but it, 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 it is difficult. This is just human nature. Some of us just need to be sort of directed. And it's okay. It's not a judgment. It's not bad. You shouldn't be ashamed of it. This is what it is in our DNA. We learn with, you know... We all figured out how to eat, or our, our deepest ancestors figured out how to eat, because one stuck a stick down an ant hole, ants were on it, and they ate the ants. Yep. And then everybody else started imitating them. So, I mean, this is what primates do. We do do this. But some of us just feel weird about it. It feels like we're being shaped or controlled or overly directed, and we would feel odd doing it that way. And, and so we end up, you know, trying to just be individual, and, and it's not... It's, it doesn't work if you, I think, if you just try to rebel because you hear this conversation, you're like, good idea, let's be different. I don't think that'll work. It has to be you. It has, it has to, to be our, organic, our, our completely. Goals, yes, and authentic. I think the real goal of the human being, I think, is to, is to become your authentic self, is to actualize your potentials and become what you really were meant to be, whatever that is, whatever your DNA or whatever the universe or whatever religion you believe in, whatever you were meant to be and created to be, that's, I think, what we all owe ourselves is yeah. to become. Yeah, totally. Um, so we know you're not a big fan of fight predictions, so we just kind of wanted to bring up the card, at least with Max Holloway and Frankie Edgar, the main fight on that card and just kind of ask what you're excited to see about it you don't even necessarily have to pick a fighter i know you said we only know 97 percent of the information that goes in it Agreed. but just all right sorry we don't know 90, we don't know 97 out. and for me i don't know 100 percent clearly but max holloway frankie edgar just wanted to hear kind of your thoughts what's exciting for you and i know you're going to be there firsthand covering some stuff yeah. so i wanted to hear no i'm, I'm actually going to be in toronto i'm going to be in the, the studio in toronto for sports center so i won't be there but that's part of my job sometimes you know and it is fun and like there's some really great cool creative people that i get to work with but but um yeah you know there's a lot of things like i'm always so curious there's always so so much change right like there's always so much like frankie edgar five years ago versus Max Holloway of two years ago is a particular fight. But is Frankie Edgar that guy? Is Max Holloway that guy? You know, I think, like, the game that the young guys started doing, or the, the wave right now that has happened, is people started to understand, if they started to have to beat the wrestlers, and they started to have to beat the pressure fighters. So, you know, six years back, uh, Jose Aldo, and Henan Barrow and Rafael Dos Anjos and Chad Mendez, a lot of the Brazilian guys, and, and particularly that came out of um, Curitiba, they developed this style, but it wasn't just them. You know, Chad, the Chad Mendezes of the world and other people were like that. Pressure. They would move forward. They would get you backing up. They would try to overwhelm you. And the wrestlers, the Chad Mendezes, Frankie Eckers, Frankie didn't just pressure you back in the day, but this, this, this principle was how guys fought. They would push you back, and then they'd either get a hold of you or they'd get you backing up, and then they would beat you up, and, and they would slowly wear you down. So over time, over the last five years, striking backing up improved dramatically. You see, you know, Connor did it to Jose Aldo was sort of the point where it was, okay, we can all see it, but everybody's good at it right now. And then also, 
there was a time where if you moved forward, you wanted to wrestle me, so you moved forward three feet, and you grabbed me, and now we're wrestling. And people would use the term takedown defense. Well, takedown defense isn't actually a thing. In wrestling, there's no such concept. At all times, we are wrestling. We're trying to improve our position. I'll never just want to defend something. That's a singular assignment that is that is a limited scope of what I can accomplish. We will instead want to just reverse you or get on top. But So all of that is taken away regardless. If As you move forward three feet, I move backwards three feet. So I'm Max Holloway. I'm in space. You can't grab my leg. I'll hit you. you. I move backwards three feet and I hit you. Then you got the young guys like Holloway who are moving their feet and their torso in such a way that they're even more deceptive. You don't know where they are and sort of when they are. Are they able to touch you or not? That's what Max is really, really good at. And you see it in some ways and we always look for the simplest way to explain it and that makes sense over time. We should, but not to a limiting degree. But people will say, Max Holloway has amazing head movement. What's really his torso, right? It's really from his hips to his head that's moving and drawing. There's, there's a principle in, in the art of war uh, where, you know, when I can, when you think, uh, when the enemy thinks they can hit you, be unhittable. And when the enemy thinks that you can't hit them, hit them. You know, and that's Max Holloway's game. And that's what I want to see. Because he has been so good at it. Although uh, Poirier was able to decipher it, I want to see Frankie decipher it. I, I love Mac. I hate to see Frankie Edgar, you know, beat him. But at the same time, wouldn't it be fucking cool to see Frankie Edgar evolve again to be able to get to Max? Because Frankie evolved, he was way ahead of everybody else with moving your feet, moving your body, slipping, striking, and not being there for the counter. So he's evolved many times. So I'm just, that, to me, it's always about change. Right. None of these guys are the same. They're never the same as they were last time. Sometimes they, you know, if you're not obsessed and it isn't, you're not obsessed with the minutiae and you're not connected to, you know, the organism, the ever-changing organism that's martial arts, they'll look the same, but they're never the same. None of us are the same. You're not the same as you were yesterday and you won't be the same two hours from now. Exactly. And these guys, aren't e- these guys aren't either. And that's always what I'm interested in. And, and because this nature, this idea of the ever-changing martial artist is accelerating every fight now. The dynamic of every fight is about how have they changed and have they anticipated the change of the other. So, uh, and the, the best example I have for that recently is uh, Hangman Hooker. Dan Hooker. Mm-hmm. Who did he just uh, knock out? James Vick. Uh, James Vick. I love James Vick too, by the way. Like, it, was, it hurt to see. Hooker simply gave a counter that he knew Vic would be ready for. So if I'm Hooker and I'm and I'm judging how to beat me, one of the ways to beat me is to hook on my right hand as I throw it, as I'm stepping. I've been using it a lot. I've been stepping into a knee. If you study me, you'll look and say, this will be the counter I will use against me, Hooker. So it, this is what they're all doing. They're looking, how would I beat me? Okay, let's anticipate he's good enough to make that move, to make that change, to create this counter, to train this counter, and then anticipate how we will counter that. And that's the level we're dealing with. Hooker knocking out James wasn't a fluke. It was a strategized game put together to exploit the fact that James would be good enough to try to exploit what he saw in us. And they're all fucking doing it. That's who all these guys are right now. That is what they are. 
and Frankie, when he took out Chad Mendes, and, and Mark, his coach, told me this dead to my face multiple times when we talked about it. He gave me a big compliment on, on breaking down Frankie versus Chad. And he said, we knew when we throw our right hand, Chad would, would move his head to this point and fire back with a wide right. So we trained for months, thousands of times, to throw the wider right. So they literally tracked uh, Chad Mendez, the path of Chad Mendez's uh, right hand versus Frankie's right hand. But Frankie's right hand was alive, created to exploit the path of Chad's right hand. This is all what's happening. And, and again, when we're talking about these things often and we're discussing them, if we don't know that these guys are, if we don't first understand they're all changing, second understand that they're all making plans to beat each other, and third understand that they're making plans to beat the other based on the plans that he would make to beat him. This is all real. All you have to do is spend time with any of these coaches. This is happening in every fight. That's what I'm fascinated by here. Which of these guys has figured out how to beat themselves, figured out that the other man would make that move to beat them, and then figured out how to be one more step and beat that? That's every fight. That isn't this fight. It's every fight. And that's that's what I'm obsessed with right now. That'll change again in a few months. It, it'll be, you know... Uh, or maybe a year or whatever, but right now it's about complexity. And as soon as the game, bec or anything, anything at all, becomes about complexity, relationships, conversations, you know, cars, it doesn't matter. As soon as everything becomes about complexity, it opens the door for simplicity to defeat it. So we won't be long now where the way to beat these complex layers of, of stratagem versus stratagem is jabbing a low kick just get so fucking good at throwing a jab and a low kick that I take you apart regardless of your game. And, but that, this is what I'm obsessed with fight to fight, changing organism to changing or, organism from, from card to card and month to month. This, this is the very thing I'm, I'm, I'm zeroed in on right now. And I'm obsessed with. Are you going to be doing a breakdown for the Max Holloway versus Frankie Edgar, like fight post fight? Are you going to be releasing one on social media? So what I'll do. So again, like, you know, we talked about at the beginning, my, my Instagram, which was a way that I could reach hundreds of thousands of people a day. Like, you know, my multiple breakdowns were doing half a million views a day on Instagram. And it got taken down because I used crowd footage of a UFC moment. So I'm certainly not using any UFC moments until we figured out if there is a relationship, some development of relationship where I can use it with their permission or use it as a partner of some kind. So until then, I'm not touching any. Uh, uh, and people come up with all kinds of fan. Hey, why don't you like use freeze things or animate it? And my answer to that is, if somebody does, if somebody else will pay me or like you know at least support my travel and things like that to do it, um, or you know pay for me to focus my attention on their thing, and somebody else is like, we will penalize you for doing it for free. Part of me is like, regardless of how good my relationship or how much I enjoy the other stuff, part of me is like, no fucking way. Yeah. <laughs> but but what I will do, so I'll be working at Sports Center, and I always bring my very best for viewers in Canada. But what I will do, because I'm on a flight the next day, and I want, and it's a 13-hour flight, and I want to sleep on that flight, I'll come home at 3 in the morning, and I'll probably go live on my YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash Robin Black. I'll probably go live on my YouTube channel around 3 a.m., uh, Sunday morning, Saturday night, and I'll talk about it. I'll talk about the dynamics that we 
saw. We'll talk about the way, the push and the pull. You know, anything that happens, look for different layers to un- to unfold of those two big fights and any other moments that kind of teach us anything about how much martial arts is changing. I'll definitely do that. And I hope that people, if they like sort of, you know, this strange way that I <laughs> that I like to view this beauty, uh, they follow my, my YouTube. It's youtube.com slash Robin Black. Would you mind plugging your podcast as well, the Enjoy the Hostilities podcast? Yeah, so if, if you search my name on every, and you guys mentioned Anchor. I even have a little Anchor I started playing with. I think that one was called Robin Black Loves Martial Arts. But but on all the other podcast uh, platforms, I'm either there as Enjoy the Hostilities which or just as Robin Black Podcast. Over the next few weeks, all of it's going to be shifted just to Robin Black Podcast for simplicity. Um, but every time I do a long-form chat, this kind of chat, usually I don't have people to talk with, I, which is why I go off on tangents for so long. Oh, we love for it. ideas. Yeah, ton. I mean, it's, it's mentally tiring, and, but it also it teaches the game of commentary has to be. If you're going to truly do it and not just say the things that you think a commentator has to say, you have to connect to the moments and then have this freedom of train of thought to explore and draw on other, other, you know, things that you've gathered and other pieces of information and other paradigms that you have some awareness in and you have to allow yourself to connect to the moments of combat and to the artists and the dynamics between them and then allow yourself to speak this way. And it takes a long time to get to the point that it's okay. And it's also strange. You know, I don't think about anything that I say. I don't second guess it. I don't, I don't filter it. So it's, it's often very personal or sometimes it's very, very personal. It's very, very emotional, but, but it is what it is. It is yeah. what it is. It's what I do. Uh, Robin, I also just wanted to give you a big thanks because as much as our podcast is dedicated to just fight talk, um, you really made this podcast something special, something that we haven't seen yet on our network. And what you did was really share a lot of personal experiences, personal information, and some really touching advice on a lot of people who are struggling to find themselves, struggling to overcome adversity, and maybe don't have enough faith in themselves and a belief system that is reliable to get to where they need to be to accomplish their goals. And you did a lot of touching up on that. And I just want to give you a special thank you for that because it really meant something special to me. Yeah, it's fantastic, man. Very inspiring, just like Brent said. Well, thank you. And it, you know, it, it's, it feels good to be able to talk about real things, you know, um, part of, what I was talking about earlier is like the structure of somebody saying, okay, now we're going to talk about, you know, the first, the last fight of the preliminary card. And then now let's talk about the striking of Frankie Edgar. That's formula. And formulas are okay. It's just, it, they feel weird to me. I like to explore things. And sometimes you get to chat and, and sadly, it, you don't, really reach anything or maybe you know you think about something that might help you or or lead you to a conclusion or an idea in the future but in the meantime it's like well i just spent an hour and a half with robin black on his podcast and we didn't learn anything and that, that can happen too when you do that right. but i'm glad because because the truth is and, and the way you put it people may not have a belief system a lot of the times like what i'm saying i know to be true if you work really hard at something you're obsessed with and you do it a lot, eventually you'll get good. If you get good and you do it a lot, a lot of people will be exposed to it. They'll like it. 
you'll improve, etc. And that goes for everything. And if you're missing something, you don't know how to edit video, okay, well, go learn. If you're missing something, you don't know how to, it can all be learned, right? I know this to be true. But when you say belief system, for a lot of people, it's got to, you've got to even go layers behind that, that they understand that they're allowed to do these things. They're allowed to, to, you know, have dreams and they're allowed to have goals and they're allowed to know that they can do these things. Most people don't. When people are mean to other people on the internet, sometimes it's because they don't believe, they feel trapped in a world that they don't have any control over, that they don't have any independent control over their lives. And people, we do, we do. We just have to not, that same thing that resists you talking like everybody else is also the same thing that allows you to resist Doritos commercials, which if you don't eat a lot of Doritos will allow you to resist the, the watching news and getting all mad and yelling at your TV, which will sell you more Doritos and then sell you, you know, medicine for restless leg syndrome, which will make you lazy, which will make you watch more TV. We, we have the ability to resist all that shit. We do it with a little bit of exercise. We do it with a little bit of more sleep. We do it with slightly better nutrition. And then we do it by feeding our minds with, you know, information that teaches us stuff. And then we start very small. And over time, we grow and we get better and we improve our things. And then we're allowed to have dreams and then we follow them. Yeah. And, and everybody can everybody can do it. It's real, but it seems unreal to people, and I know that. And, and that's the hard part, and yeah. that's the scary part. Very wise words from Robin Black. You guys need to be listening to this podcast over and over again if you're trying to find your way. Great words from him. Uh, hopefully you learned something from all of us today, and you had a great time listening to this episode of UFC Unwrapped. That's all we have for you guys today. I'm Perry Aston. Brent Sahadi. And, of course, joined by our special guest, Robin Black. Make sure to go follow him on Twitter at RobinBlackMMA. Go look for his podcast within a few weeks. It's all just going to be Robin Black podcast on a few different platforms. Of course, his Instagram that he was mentioning, Robin Black Martial uh, Arts, correct? Yes, sir. Yep. So there's the that new Instagram. Make sure to go check that one. If not, you know he'll have Robin Black MMA up before you know it on Instagram. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at UFC Unwrapped. You can follow me on Twitter at Perry Aston. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Brent Sahadi with an x and with an x and you got to make sure to go follow our network account at unwrap sports or our website at unwrapsports.com find a bunch of podcasts a bunch of articles a bunch of informative stuff on our website it's a beautiful site and we're very proud of it so make sure you go to check it out and robin again thank you so much for joining us it was such an absolute pleasure to talk to you today guys it was my total pleasure and until next time enjoy the hostilities my friends Thanks. Oh, we love it. There it is. We're going to ask you to end with one. Thank you so much, man. And we're going to catch everybody next time. Seven or eight weeks. Let's do it again.